So from time to time, when I come up here, I know I'm going to be talking about an issue, and there are just a handful of them, but I know I'm going to be talking about an issue that is going to be an uphill battle, that I'm swimming against the current of popular opinion, and today is one of those issues, but I'm going to tackle it anyway, and the reason I want to tackle it is, one, I like a challenge, so this will be fun for me, but also I'm going to tackle it because you're a great crowd to tackle it with. The thing I know about those of you who attend here and those of you who watch, is uh, one of the things you got going for you is you're very intellectually honest. And by that I mean, even if you don't agree with something, what I've seen time and time again is you're open to listening to other views and to other, you know, to other perspectives. So you may leave here today and not agree with me, and that's okay. My goal was not actually to convince you or to change what you believe. That's, that's kind of between you and God. I just want to present to you an alternative perspective, maybe, to something, to an issue that is very personal and very central to all of us, and everybody has a strong opinion about, but I'm going to share just a little bit of, some, of a perspective that maybe you've never heard before, some things that uh, your friends, the community around you, the culture, that even the church never tells you about this issue. So we'll dive into that in just a minute. But before we do that, if you are new around here, we're in part three of this series. If you missed part of this series or hadn't, hadn't been here for all of it, you can go right here to lovesexdatingseries.com. You can watch all the messages. So if you miss anything, you can catch up. If today you hear something, you're like, oh, I wish so-and-so was here to hear this. You can send them to this website. It's an easy way for them to watch this. And you may not be aware of this, but there are discussion questions there every week, which if you're not in a group, all of our small groups talk about our sermons and just how it applies to them and what they think about it. But if you're not in a group, uh, you can gather with some family, you can gather with some friends, you can download these discussion questions and have a great conversation around this and what it looks like and how it applies and what your perspective is on what you hear. And we hear all the time, all the time, that there's some really, really valuable conversations that take place out of that. So that's there for you as well. And for this series, if you're married, if you're married, if you'll go to this website, we've got dates there for you to download that have already been planned for you. So how's that? Be sure to download those. Wives, figure out a very subtle way to remind your husbands to go download those. And you'll have those, and you can use those over the next few weeks or over the next few months as well. Now, if you're married, I've been telling you throughout this series, I'm talking to single adults primarily, but I'm kind of talking to you as a married adult without talking to you because the things that we're discussing apply to all of us who are married, and you probably understand this. I don't even have to convince you of this like I would a single adult because you're in the middle of it. Today is certainly one of those, and the topic we're going to talk about today will uh, maybe connect some dots for you, maybe explain some things, maybe create some aha moments for you, and certainly could create a lot of very interesting, a lot of very, um, hopefully in the end, helpful and healthy conversation between you and your spouse. Uh, so I'll let you figure out how to translate that and apply that as we go throughout. But single adults, this is another one of those fun topics to talk about. And just to give you a little quick review to bring you up to speed, uh, if you hadn't been here, to bring you up to speed on where we're going today. Basically, what we've said, if you're single, is married people don't have marriage problems because they get married. And that's, you know, that's an assumption or a perspective that people have. It's not really true. Married people never have marriage problems because they got married. That's not what messes up their relationship. Married people have marriage problems because they bring problems into their marriage that they don't think are going to follow them into their marriage. And the reason that happens is because all of us married people make a couple very dangerous assumptions when we're single. So if you're single and you avoid this, you're actually going to be way ahead of the game. One of the assumptions we've talked about is married people assumed that when we say I do, I get a fresh start with you. 
So the minute I get married, all my past just seems to disappear and it's wiped clean and everything is fresh and new with this person I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. And once we get married, we all discover that is not the way it works. Not only does our past unresolved issues show up in our future, but our past always shows up in our future at the most inopportune times, doesn't it? And so one of the things you can do as a single adult that will get you way ahead of the game is to deal with all the unresolved issues that are in your heart and in your life right now. Financial issues, self-control issues, discipline issues, issues in terms of the sexual choices you made, issues in terms of, you know, career, education, or whatever. All of those things that are left unresolved, they're going to eventually show back up. So if you deal with them when you're single, then there's less baggage you're carrying into your marriage because that's a huge assumption people make. It's just not the way it works. You do not get a fresh start. The other assumption that all of us married people made when we got married, is we thought, when we say I do, love and commitment will see us through. When we say I do, the fact that I have fallen in love with this person is, is enough for us to be together, stay in love, happy together forever. It's not the way it works. Falling in love is no guarantee that you're going to stay in love. It just isn't. And the other thing that's way overrated, and this sounds counterintuitive, is commitment. But commitment is overrated. It's important. But it's overrated because you can, be, you can be sincere about the vows you make. You can be sincere about the commitment that you make. But you can be sincere or you can be committed and miserable. As we've said, commitment makes you accountable. It does not make you capable. It makes you accountable to keep a promise you may not be capable of keeping. And when you're accountable to keep something you're not capable of keeping, you end up miserable. And that's what happens to a lot of married couples. So to summarize everything, the big idea of this series is the secret to a great marriage is not falling in love. It's not commitment. It's not, oh, we just get a fresh start, so everything's going to be good. Oh, I found the right person. It's none of that. The secret to a great marriage is mutual submission, mutual submission, which is this idea that two people come into a marriage relationship and both decide, you know what? I'm going to put the needs, desires, wishes, wants, and hopes of the other person before me. And that is easy to talk about. That is very difficult to do. Because that kind, that kind of love, that's a deep love. That kind of love requires a strong character. That kind of love requires preparation. That kind of love requires practice. Like nobody's born with the kind of character that naturally mutually submits. You have to develop that. And the more you develop that as a single adult, the better off your marriage will start. And the better off your marriage will be. You've got to work at practicing some of these character qualities. And last week we talked about them. Qualities like, you know, love that's patient, love that's kind, love that doesn't boast, it's not proud, it doesn't envy, love that's not easily angered. I mean, those kinds of qualities are the qualities you have to have if you're going to be able to mutually submit to one another in a relationship. But again, that takes practice. And nobody, especially when you're single, but it's true for all of us, but especially when you're single, nobody wants to practice that kind of stuff. There's nothing fun about practicing being better at love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. I mean, who wants to practice that? When you're single, there's only one thing you get excited about practicing. It's sex. That's the only thing, right? There's nothing else that when you're single, you're really interested in practicing. And everything in our culture, and we're going to talk about this for a little bit today, everything in our culture tells us when it comes to sex, this is the one thing you ought to practice before you're married because, after all, sex is for mature people. So as long as you're responsible and as long as it's consenting adults and as long as you understand you're at a point of life where, you know, you're ready, 
then it's a good thing to do. It's a good thing to do because you wouldn't buy a car without test driving at first. It's a good thing to do because you got to make sure you're sexually compatible. And if you're sexually compatible and everything's good on the sex side of the relationship, that means you're with the right person until, you know, until you reach a point where you decide you're not with the right person and suddenly the sex isn't as good and you go searching for another right person. Funny how that works. But, but we, we all think, okay, it's, it's just a message we're told. Okay, this is something you got to pay attention to. That if you're going to have a great marriage... You better practice. You better figure this out. You, 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 know, you better engage in this area of your life on the front end. The other thing that we tend to buy into when it comes to this is we think it's okay to go ahead and practice sex before we get married, and it's helpful because sex is just physical, or it's primarily just physical. Like, you know, in other words, what, the choices that I'm making sexually aren't going to follow me and aren't going to impact me, and aren't going to have any consequences to me down the road. Like, I can, I can be involved sexually in this relationship, and then when I move on to the next relationship, well, that's just going to fade away. I mean, it's a message that we've all been sent, and it's, it's what most of us believe. Now, intuitively, here's what I know about you. And I, we're not even getting to, you know, what the writers of Scripture had to say about this. I just want you to think about it from a, you know, rational point of view. Intuitively, you know that sex is more than just physical. You know that. But again, we, we kind of convince ourselves this is the way it is, or at least it's the way we handle it. But you know intuitively. You know intuitively because when you're sexually involved in a relationship and then that relationship ends, the emotion that's created by that relationship being broken is far greater and far stronger than relationships that have ended where you weren't sexually involved. So there's got to be a little more to it than just physical. And, and you know it's more than just physical because you can't shake off certain sexual choices you've made and just move on without any regret. It's not like, you know, you get a speeding ticket and you kind of just shake that off and move on. You can't do that with your sexual choices. It's not like, it's not like well, you know, I racked up a lot of debt and I paid it off and kind of it's now and it's just not a big deal. No, you can't. You don't do that. That's not how sexual choices feel. That's, that's not how in the future you end up dealing with some of those things. There are far greater repercussions. You know it's not just, and this is kind of personal, and this is going to hit some of you real close to home. You know it's more than just physical. Because if sex was only physical, then someone who's a victim of sexual abuse would recover quickly from it. If sex was just primarily physical, then once the physical scars or the physical wounds of a sexual abuse had healed, then somebody could just go right on. But you know as well as I do. It's not that easy, and it's not that simple, and the pain and the wounds and the hurts and the scars are way deeper than just physical. So there's got to be a little more to it than that. Now, intuitively, you know that. Now, here's, here's the part, and we'll come back to this in a minute, but here's the thing. When Jesus talked about sex, when Moses wrote about sex, when the Apostle Paul wrote about sex, when some of these other writers of Scripture wrote about sex, They addressed sex as something that was far more comprehensive to the human soul and to the human experience than just being physical. They explained and they addressed sex as having three primary purposes. In other words, God created sex, they taught that, and he designed sex to accomplish three purposes. And just real quickly, I'll give you the overview. First of all, and this one's obvious, Scripture teaches God created sex for pleasure. That's what the writers of Scripture said. We understand that one. That's a physical component. Procreation, well, that's another obvious one. But the third one is the one that none of us ever have explained to us. And that God, it's the idea that God created sex to be a promise. Now, this one is just fascinating to me. 
It is the idea that, and I'm, I'm not even going to, you know, read you anything that the rise of Scripture said. This is the idea that when you engage sexually with someone, that your body makes a promise whether you want it to or not. Now, here's what fascinates me about this. You may not believe that God created sex. You may not even believe there is a God, or you may not adhere to the Christian ethic when it comes to sex. And that's perfectly fine. What is fascinating to me is that scientific research today shows that this is true. Scientific research has proven that when you engage in sexual activity, your body makes a promise even if you don't want to make that promise. Specifically, the way it happens biologically is when you engage sexually, there are some chemicals that are released in your brain. Chemicals like oxytocin, dopamine, several chemicals that are released in your brain. They're designed to do one thing, and it is to bond you to the person that you are engaged sexually with and to make an exclusive commitment or promise to be with that person forever. There is a bonding that takes place. These chemicals are designed to create a bonding that is a permanent bonding between you and the other person. This isn't what, I'm not telling you this is what, you know, the writers of Scripture wrote. We'll get to that in a minute. This is what scientists today say. If you don't believe me, all you have to do is just go home and Google this and do a little research. It is, you know, it's everywhere now. They understand that even if you're engaged sexually in a way and you're like, I'm, this is not an exclusive thing or this is not going to be a forever thing, you cannot keep your body, you cannot keep your brain from releasing these chemicals that create that kind of bond. Now, here's what that means. And just hang with me for a second. Here's what that means. That means that sex is the pathway to intimacy. Because what is intimacy? Intimacy is simply the desire that you and I both have. All human beings are created with a need for intimacy. Intimacy is the desire to know and be fully known. Intimacy, another way to say it is, intimacy is, happens when you say, I'm giving all of me to all of you exclusively forever. This is the only way you experience intimacy. When you, when you just ex- express to someone, I'm giving all of you or all of me to all of you exclusively forever. Now, Here's why this is so fascinating. Because that means, according to science, that means there is a connection between sex and your soul. There is a connection between sex and your soul. It is not merely physical. There is an impact it has on your soul. And it also means that if you misuse sex, you damage your soul. If you misuse sex, you damage your ability, your ability to experience intimacy. Now, real quickly, for those of you who are married, this explains some things for some of you. And even for those of you who are single and you're kind of down the road a little bit in terms of your dating life, this explains some things for you. This maybe explains or connects some dots why you used to experience intimacy at a certain depth or level when you were engaged sexually with someone, and now when you engage sexually with someone, you don't experience that quite as much. Now it's not quite as deep. Now you've lost the ability to experience intimacy the way that you used to. Because if you misuse sex, if you use sex in a way that bonds you to a person and then bonds you to another and then bonds you to another, we'll talk more about this in a minute, you are damaging your ability to experience intimacy, because that is what sex is designed to do. It's for pleasure, it's for procreation, but it is also this promise 
this pathway to intimacy. Now, all that being said, here's what I, as I said, scientific research backs all this up. And so even if you don't believe in God or even if you don't want to uh, embrace the Christian belief or, you know, ethic around sexuality, that's okay. You can research that for yourself and you can figure out what you want to do with this because this is just scientific. But here's what I would say to you. If you find yourself pushing back and going, I don't, I don't buy that and I don't believe that, you know, this is just kind of the preacher saying what the preacher would say. Here, here's what I want you to do for a second. Just imagine for me, just assume, and it, you know, if, you, if it's not true, it's fine, but just assume for a minute it is. Assume that everything I've told you is true. Assume that what we believe as Christians about sex is actually accurate. Assume that God created sex and God created sex for us and God created sex to be a pathway for us to experience intimacy. And assume that not only is it for pleasure and procreation, but there's this extraordinary promise that takes place. And assume that because sex and your soul are connected, that it's possible if you misuse sex to damage your soul. Now, if all those things were true, and you were God, you can really use your imagination on that one, but you were God, okay? You were God. Imagine you were God, and all of this was true. What would you say to you about your sexual choices? What would you say to you about how you should manage or guard your sexuality? I bet you would say to you, if all of this was true, I bet you would say to you exactly what you find the writers of Scripture saying. I bet you would say to you exactly what you find Jesus teaching. I bet you would say to you exactly what the Apostle Paul said to the Christians who were in the city of Corinth. And Corinth was a city where sexuality was viewed very much like it is today. Matter of fact, in a lot of ways, it was far more permissive the behaviors and the choices people were making. And as Paul wrote to these Corinthians, he said some things that at first may sound very prohibitive. But if everything that I just said is true, then instead of being prohibitive, what Paul tells us is actually there to protect us. It actually makes a whole lot of sense. I just want to read you real quickly what Paul had to say. And I want, you, now I want you to think about this. I want you to remember that Paul wrote this in the first century, long before we had the scientific ability to understand everything we understand about what happens chemically in our brains and, and the bonding and the promise that takes place whenever we have sex, long before any of the science came along to prove this. I want you to listen to the advice Paul gives these first century believers in Corinth. Here's what he says, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18. He says, flee from sexual immorality. Now, sexual immorality is just any sexual activity outside of the uh, confines or the boundaries of a marriage relationship between a man or, and a woman. That's how the scriptures define sexual immorality. And Paul had to tell these Christians in Corinth to flee from sexual immorality. Wonder why? Take a guess. Because they were right in the middle of sexual immorality. It wasn't like, hey, y'all are doing a great job. Keep it up. He's like, no, no, no. You guys are making a huge mess when it comes to this arena of your life. You need to flee. You need to run as fast as you can. Do not flirt. Because again, Paul understood, and you're going to see this in a second. Paul understood there's a direct connection between your sexual choices and your soul. You don't, it's so dangerous, it's so delicate, you don't need to flirt with this. 
You don't need to say, well, how close can I get to this without feeling guilty? Well, how close can I get without sinning? You know, well, how far is too far? And, you know, he says, no, no, no. You need to get as far away from this as you can. Anything that could potentially damage your ability to experience intimacy, you need to flee. And then he explains to them why. Now, this next statement is fascinating to me. Again, because he wrote it in the first century. He wrote it before all the science that we have today. He said this, All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, the consequences that you're going to experience when you sin sexually are far different than any other sin you commit. That sinning sexually, Paul says to these first century Christians, is unlike any other sin. Now, let me, let me clarify what he's not saying. He is not saying, well, it's unlike any other sin because God's going to judge you so much harsh, more harshly because you've sinned in this area. That's not what he's saying. Now, you may have grown up in a church or around churches or around Christians where that, that was a message that was sent. Like you, you know, there's some sins that people just turn a blind eye to, but you sin sexually, and oh my gosh, the judgmentalism is just, I mean, it just rains down on you. This is not what Paul's saying. Paul is not saying that, you know, the judgment towards you is going to be greater when you sin sexually. Here's what Paul's trying to help us understand. It's this idea that sinning sexually has greater consequences in you, in you. That you're sinning against your own body. Now, what he is getting at, and you're going to see um, in just a minute that he makes this very clear. What he's getting at here is the consequence of damaging your ability and my ability to experience intimacy. Now, just stop and think about this for a minute. What is it that you most want when you get married? The thing that, if you're single, the thing that you are most wanting to experience when you get married is intimacy. Because it's one of the greatest human needs and the greatest human desires that we have. The thing that you most hope you have in your marriage. The thing that you know, if I have that, then we're going to stay in love, happy together forever. It is intimacy. It is this idea of, I fully know them, and I'm fully known by them, and we have committed, we have promised, we to exclusively, exclusively be for one another forever. And this is, this is the kind of relationship that we have. That's what you most want. And Paul said, listen, when you sin sexually, you are damaging your own ability, your own soul, your own ability to experience the thing that you most want when you get married. That because sex is like a promise, sex is like a bond, sex is like an adhesive. Every time you misuse it, every time you misuse it, You leave a little part of you with the person you were engaged in. A little part of them is left with you, and then you move on to the next person, and we all think, because this is what culture tells us, what's not a big deal, and you can just move on, and everything will be fine, and all those memories fade. Paul says, no, they don't. Every time you rip that adhesive apart, every time you break that bond, there's a little of you left with them, there's a little of them left with you, and the more often you break that bond, the less adhesive it is. The more often you break that bond, it damages your ability the less you are able to bond. Which is why you can eventually get to the point, if you misuse sex enough, that you are numb to intimacy. Where sex does feel like it's just physical to you. Where sex is just something that, you know, it's like there's no way this in any way creates deeper intimacy between me and this person. 
And you will come to the conclusion, well, sex is just physical. But it's not because sex is just physical. It's because you have damaged your ability to experience intimacy so much, you are numb to the intimacy sex is designed to create between you and the person with whom you've engaged sexually. So Paul says, you better pay attention because sexual sins, unlike any other sin, not, not in terms of the judgment, in terms of the consequences it can have on your soul. Now, the reason the, uh, the readers there in the first century in Corinth knew this is what he was talking about, and the reason we know this is what he's driving at, is because what, of what he had said just a cu- couple sentences before. He had, he had asked a very pointed question that applied directly to their culture, where he had made this point. And the reason it applied to their culture is in, the, in Corinth in the first century, it was common practice, and the, many of them had come out of these religions, it was common practice in the pagan religions at the time, you would go to one of these pagan temples and your act of worship would be you would have sex with a prostitute. This was just the way they did things. They didn't think anything of it. They'd go have sex with a prostitute and then come back home to the family. It was kind of weird, but that's the way they managed or handled sex at that time. And many of these people had engaged and were still engaging in some of this. And so a couple sentences before in this letter, here is the question that Paul had asked them. Verse 16, he had said, do you not know, as in, hey, it's obvious by the way that you're making choices, you don't understand the connection here. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute, and again, he's talking about these temple prostitutes, is one with her in body. For it is said, the two will become one flesh. Now, this term unites, this term one flesh, this is first century code for getting married. If you've been around church, you know this. It's like, this is all through the Jewish scriptures and what we call the Old Testament. This was code for getting married. Can you imagine as these people are reading this, they're going, whoa, 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 I didn't get, I didn't get married. I just went to that temple and I had sex with that prostitute. Paul says, no, no. Sex isn't just physical. There's something happening inside of you you didn't even realize. That when you had sex with that person, you made a promise. There was a bond created. That I'm giving all of me to all of you exclusively forever. You can't keep from your brain making that promise and your body making that promise when you engage. That's exactly how your body processes it and is as if you married that person because marriage is built on that kind of commitment. And that kind of bond, to which I'm sure they said, no, 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 like this was a one-time deal, like it was a one-night stand, like it was one season of my life, like it was one relationship. And Paul says, doesn't matter. It has a deeper impact than you realize. It's damaging your ability to experience intimacy with the person that you're with now, with the person you love now, with the person that you want to spend the rest of your life with exclusively. So he says, you can't, you can't just separate these. You can't think, well, the stuff that happened before I got married, like once I get married, it's a fresh start, and all of that stuff's irrelevant now, and none of that will show back up in my marriage. He says, no, no, no. If you don't deal with these unresolved sexual issues, they're going to follow you. The consequences are going to impact you. And it's going to show up at the most inopportune times in your marriage. And just deleting that, you know, those people or that person or that girl or that guy's contact out of your phone and you know, unfollowing them off of social media doesn't mean the memories are going to fade and it doesn't mean the consequences are going to go away. Now, to me that's just fascinating because Paul wrote that in the first century. And this is what science proves today. Science proves there's a direct connection between our soul and our sexuality. Science proves that sex is the pathway 
to intimacy. But here's what I want to say. Here's what I want to do. I want to take a minute to just acknowledge that even though that may be true, some of you are still skeptical. Some of you are still cynical. I get that. Some of you don't agree with that, and that's okay. Again, I'm just giving you a different perspective. You may not agree with it, but you should at least consider it. And before you say, well, you know, that's just a preacher, and that's what you'd expect to hear at church, and no, 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 and, you know, he's just so out of touch, and that's just not the way the world works today. Like, I, no, I live in the world you live in. But if you're skeptical or you're resistant to this idea, let me just bring up a couple of things for you to consider before we wrap up. The first one is this. If you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, Matt, here's the deal. Like, if you want to believe that, that's fine. Like, if that's what's right for you is right for you, but what's right for me is right for me. And, you know, you can't, it's not really like universal. So you, you can't impose this sexual, you know, ethic on me or your sexual choice or beliefs on me. And I'm not going to impose mine on you. If that's the way you view it, let me just, let me just say this. You would be perfectly fine and perfectly in your rights to say that to me if sex were like music. In other words, if your sexual choices or your sexual beliefs were like the personal preferences you have about music, then that would work just fine. See, when it comes to music, you can choose any kind of music you want to like, and it doesn't, it doesn't matter. You choose any kind of music you want to like, and there, there's no consequence. Like, you just like what you like, and it's fine. And if you want to change what you like later, you change what you like. It has no significant impact on your life whatsoever. But your sexual choices are not like that. They are not personal preferences. And here's the difference. Your sexual choices carry with it prepackaged outcomes. Your musical choices do not. Your sexual choices always carry prepackaged outcomes or prepackaged consequences. So you're free to choose whatever choices you want and, you know, do whatever you want sexually. Like nobody can tell you what to do or not to do there within, you know, legal bounds. But you're not free from the consequences. You're not free from the outcomes. You're not free from the damage it's going to do. Like, you, you, you can't avoid that. It just, it's true for all human beings. So you can't think of it like, well, it's just a personal preference, because no, you're hurting, you're hurting yourself, and you're choosing an outcome that's going to end up creating more issues for you in the long run. So you should at least consider whether it's true. The other thing I would get you to consider is this, and even if you don't believe in Scripture, you intuitively know that this is true. If you're like, well, I can, you know, I'll just do what I want sexually and it's okay. Like, I think the way I'm living and the choices I'm making are good for me. Okay, Here, here's what you intuitively know, regardless of what Scripture teaches. You intuitively know this idea that intimacy is fueled by exclusivity. You know this is true. You don't have to believe in God to know this. You believe, you believe, you do. You believe intimacy is fueled by exclusivity. And I'll prove it to you. You have never had a moment in your life where you have dreamt about hearing the person that you're in love with look at you and say, listen, I just want you to know, babe, I just can't stop thinking about you and your roommate. Like both of you, I'm so excited. Like that's, you've never had a moment where you thought that would be awesome if they just told me that. You've never had a moment where you dreamt of, you know, getting engaged to the love of your life and then looking at you and saying, I cannot wait to spend the rest of my 20s with you. It's going to be awesome. Now, when we hit 30, I don't know. I'm going to reevaluate. But the 20s are going to be really fun. Like that's, that is not 
how you think about it. You don't want to get to your wedding and exchange vows and hear them say, you know what, I'm making all these commitments to you and I'm going to love you with part of my heart. Like that is, that is not ever crossed your mind. And the reason it's not ever crossed your mind, as a matter of fact, the reason why if you heard that, you would walk out of the relationship immediately is because you intuitively know, whoa, I cannot have intimacy with you if we don't have exclusivity. Intimacy is always fueled by exclusivity. So, you have to consider, even if you don't want to believe what Scripture says, you have to consider, wait a minute, wait a minute. If this is true, if this is true, and if what science says is true, then how am I damaging my ability to experience intimacy by not guarding my sexuality exclusively for the person that I'm going to spend the rest of my life with? Maybe, just maybe, maybe if all this is true, maybe God really does know what he's talking about. Maybe if all this is true, maybe the things that God says about sexuality aren't there to restrict me. And I always thought like, oh, it's just, God's, you know, that's just kind of like a killjoy. And he's just trying to prohibit me from everything. Maybe that's not it. Maybe he's been trying to protect you all along so that you could experience the intimacy that you most want and desire. So what do you do with this? What do you do with this? Well, let me give you a few suggestions. Some of you believe this. Some of you have believed this your entire life, and maybe you didn't connect all the dots and understand all the reasons why, but you just knew there was something so sacred and so powerful about your sexuality and your sexual choices that you have decided, you know what, I'm not going to engage, and you haven't. You have not, you're single, but you have not engaged sexually with anyone, and you're doing your best to wait until you meet that person and you get married where you're going to spend forever together and you can make this promise and mean it. But it is so difficult. And if that's you, here's what I would say to you. In spite of the fact that it feels like no one around you is living that way and no one around you is making those choices or managing their sexuality that way, you keep doing what you're doing because you are guarding your soul. You keep doing what you're doing because you are maintaining your ability to experience intimacy and avoid some of the issues that so many other people face once they get married. You are doing exactly what you should do. If you believe that sex wasn't just for pleasure and procreation, that sex was actually a promise. And it will all pay off for you when you do meet that person and when you do get married. Now, some of you are single and you're sexually active right now. You're active right now. And here's the thing you got to wrestle with. you got to wrestle with, do you believe this is true or not? Like, you can put your head in the sand and say, oh, I don't think it's true and just keep doing what you're doing. That's your choice. Or you can say... If this really is true, and if re this really does explain some of the things that I'm dealing with, then I've got to make some changes. And so for you, the really the only two options you have are to ignore what I say, at which, to which I would say if you're going to ignore it, that's okay. Just take really good notes because at some point all of this is going to come up, and you're going to feel all of these consequences. I hear the stories. It's going to come eventually. You are not, you know, your situation's not unique. You're going to end up having the same outcome as everybody else. And when you do... You're going to need to pull these notes up so you can remember and at least explain and understand what you're dealing with. Or you can be wise and you can say, I'm going to stop engaging sexually. I'm just going to stop. 
you know, up to this point, I've handled it this way. From this point forward, I'm going to treat it as if it's more than just physical. And I'm going to treat it as if it's more than just what's something for mature people. I'm going to treat it as if there is a connection between my soul and my sexuality. And I've got to guard my ability to experience intimacy with my future spouse one day. Some of you, some of you are single, but you're living together. You're living together. And again, you got to make some choices about this. And the deeper you go in the relationship and the more, you know, you're at a point now living together, well, it's even harder to make these choices. But you got to figure out what to do. And here would be my advice to you. I'm not being judgmental about this. Here's, here would be my advice. If this is a person that you want to commit yourself exclusively to for the rest of your life, then buck up and get married. Just do it. Just do it. If that's the, if that's the deal and if this is a person then there's no point in waiting. Because again, getting married is not going to create problems for your relationship. What's going to create problems in your relationship in the future are relational issues you haven't dealt with already. So get married and make the commitment. Because until you get married, as much as you want to say you're committed, there's always an out, and it's an easy out. You need to commit yourself exclusively to one another forever. And so just deal with that. Just make the commitment. Or... If the two of you don't want to make that kind of deep commitment to one another, you need to reevaluate the relationship. You at least need to stop having sex until you figure that out. But you may need to end the relationship because you don't want to be with someone who doesn't want to commit exclusively to you because unless two people do that, you can't experience mutual submission. And unless two people do that, you cannot experience intimacy. Now, other thing I'll say real quick is for those of you who are married, for those of you who are married, this may connect some dots for some of you because you have a sexual history from when you were single or maybe a sexual history since you've been married. There's been an affair. There's been some issues. And now it has created intimacy problems in your marriage and you have never connected the dots and understood. And now you're sitting here, you know, going, oh, okay, oh my gosh, I can't. That explains it. That explains it. That explains it. What do I do now? That explains it. I'll tell you what you do. And this is true for any of you. Any of us who have failed to manage our sexuality in a healthy way, any of us who've been sexually active in ways we shouldn't have been sexually active, here is the good news. The good news is when Jesus died for our sins, he didn't just die for some of them, he died for all of them. And when Jesus offers grace, that grace, this is so important, that grace doesn't just forgive us for our sins, but that grace heals us of our sins, which means... It doesn't matter how much you have damaged your ability to experience intimacy. You can be healed of that. It can be restored. And you can experience intimacy again because of the work and the healing that God can bring about in your heart and in the heart of your spouse or your future spouse. So the best thing you can do if you're going, oh my gosh, I've already blown it here. All oh, this explains so much. Now what do I do? I'll tell you what you do. You just be really honest with God. You just confess and admit to him, I made a mess of this. And I want you to help me heal. See, in the end, here's what I know. For those of you who are single, especially, just imagine with me, one day you're going to be engaged to someone who is the love of your life, and you're going to be looking forward to spending the rest of your life with them. And at some point in that relationship, you're going to have a very awkward conversation potentially, about your past 
about your past relationships, about your past sexual choices. Here's the question I want you to ask yourself. In that moment, when you're about to have to look across at the person that you are getting ready to commit the rest of your life to exclusively, you need to ask yourself, what story do you want to tell? How do you want that conversation to go? There are only two options. The first option is this. You're going to look at them and say, you know what? I was sexually active before I met you because I just thought sex was physical and it was for mature people and it's just what everybody did. And I went to church one day and I heard this guy talk about this and explain that it was connected to all this stuff, but I didn't buy in and believe him and I wasn't about to change. And so here I am today and I stayed sexually active up to and including in the relationship I'm in with you. And now here we are and I just want you to know a couple of things. First of all, I really hope that your sexual history isn't as active as mine. Can we just not talk about too much of that? And then secondly, I just want you to know, even though I have continued over the course of my past to make promises through sexual activity to the people I've been with that I'm committing myself exclusively to them even though I wasn't. Now I really am committing myself exclusively to you. And I just want you to know I'm going to, you know, I'm going to stick by that commitment. I didn't with any of the others. I didn't keep any of those promises, but I'm going to keep this one. That's one option. The other option is for you to sit down and have that conversation and say, Hey, I made some mistakes here. I blew it here. I didn't understand. I thought sex was just physical, and I've been engaged sexually. But then I heard that it was more than that, and I came to understand what it was doing to damage my ability to experience intimacy. And I thought about the day when I was going to have this conversation with you, even though maybe I didn't even know you. And so here's what I did. I changed my behaviors. I changed my behaviors. And from that point to now, I've waited. From that point to now, I've guarded my sexuality. From that point to now... I have allowed God to heal me so that I could experience intimacy through sexuality again. So here I am, and I practiced my character, and I practiced keeping my commitments, and I practiced becoming the kind of person who's able and capable of keeping a promise. And so I can look at you now, and I can commit myself to you exclusively forever, and you can trust me because I've proven it in my recent past. Those are the two options that you have. And the choice is entirely yours. But the good news is, you can choose option two because God's grace is great enough to heal you. Intimacy, you know this, it is fueled by exclusivity. So you have to decide if you're willing to deal with the damage from the past if you're willing to deal with the messes that you've created, and if you're willing to make a commitment that allows God to do the work he wants to do in your heart and in your life, to heal you and to prepare you to experience a kind of intimacy in your future marriage or in your current marriage that you most desire. And that is entirely your call. Let me pray for us. Father, this is, um, this is one of those issues that's personal and it's one of those issues that we tend to want to resist. So wherever we are and whatever we're facing, whatever we're dealing with, give us the wisdom to know what to do with this and more importantly, give us the courage to do the right thing. We want to say thank you to you because your grace that you offer through Jesus' death and resurrection is big enough 
and strong enough not only to forgive us, but to heal us. So I want to pray for those who realize they need healing. For those who begin to pursue that with you. Would you heal the damage that's been created by their past sexual sin and restore their ability to experience what you designed us to experience? The incredible promise and intimacy that comes through sex within a marriage relationship. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.